Hello guys, how are y'all doing? It's good to see you, good to be here this morning with y'all. And I, I really feel today the Lord is going to minister to you. I don't know what he's going to say to you, but I believe by the end of this message, and it has nothing to do with me, but I believe that the Spirit of God is going to move in this place. I believe right now that he's going to speak to you, that he's got something to say to you. So I'm excited to see what that is. But quickly, as we're in the book of Nehemiah, I want to give you a quick timeline to where we're landing today. And I may be switching mics really soon. Oh, boy. Oh, hello. So I actually used this during the first service, too, because we've been having, we're trying to re-EQ the, the room and get stuff situated. So they didn't want me to do this, you know, because I might try to rap or do something crazy like that. And um, that could be interesting. So I will not rap today. Thank you. I might. I'll change my mind in a second. But we are in Nehemiah today, and I want to give you a quick timeline to where we're going to be landing today. And it will make sense as we get into this. But we're going to be looking at the span of kings from Daniel. You know, we've been in the book of Daniel. We've been in Esther, and we're in Nehemiah. So I want to show this to you. Because if you remember, the Israelites are exiled for 70 years in Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. We learned that in Daniel and Jeremiah. And Jeremiah prophesies that they'll be there 70 years in Babylon. And then there's a succession of, of kings. Then this guy named Cyrus comes in and he ends at the end of the 70 years. And he decrees that a temple should be built in Jerusalem. And there was a wave of Jews that returned. In fact, there was like three returns that happened within all this time period. And if you remember in Zechariah, you read Zechariah, you read about Joshua and Zerubbabel. That was a priest and a governor, and they built the temple, but it wasn't completed. And then there was a short reigns of Cambrius and a guy named Burrito or something. I don't know, Burrito or something. I don't know what it is. He had a short reign, and then there was a guy named Darius. And Darius rediscovers the decree that Cyrus made to rebuild the temple, and it's actually completed in the time of Darius. Then we have a guy named Xerxes. A.K. Ashuerus, that's the book of Esther that we read and that you heard about last week. And then today, as we get into Nehemiah, Artaxerxes I. And that's Nehemiah and Ezra, the books that we're reading right now and that you read. And Ezra actually beautified the temple, and Nehemiah built a wall. Now, what is the big deal about a wall? Why is that such a big thing? Listen, no wall equals no protection for that temple that God rebuilt Let's make it really personal today. The New Testament calls you, if you're a spirit-filled believer, if you're born again, if you're born again, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides in you. You are called a temple. So I want you to think about that, how it applies to you as the temple. If you know Jesus today, and I want to ask you, are you protecting the temple? Are you protecting the wall around your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus And Nehemiah hears that this physical wall is in disrepair and full of gaps and rubble. I love that word, rubble. I said that in the first service. I probably shouldn't say in the second. You know how things don't work in the first. But rubble, isn't that cool? Glenn, I know you'll appreciate the word rubble. Thank you. He nodded. So Nehemiah is a Jewish exile working in the Persian king's court as a cupbearer to the king. And he gets a report about how things are going in Jerusalem. Do you think that he was there by accident? Do you think he got this job haphazardly? Do you even think it was his real purpose in life? God sovereignly placed him as a cupbearer in the king's court because God had a greater calling 
a greater purpose on Nehemiah's life, and he does to you too. But Nehemiah hears how things are going in Jerusalem, and this is what he says. They said to me when he asked them, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And I like this part. He says, for some days I mourned and fast and prayed before the God of heaven. You see, with Nehemiah, it wasn't just a quick shout out of a prayer to God. It says for days, days he decided, I'm going to pray. There's something wrong, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to do this thing before God. He had the heart, God's heart inside him. See, in Jerusalem, it says that in the scriptures that God's eyes are on Jerusalem, that he set his name upon Jerusalem. Even to this day, his eyes are on there, and Nehemiah has the heart and the passion that is the Father's in heaven. And he prays, and he fasts, and he weeps. But what caused that wall to be in disrepair? Remember, they're exiled 70 years because of unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness, doubt, and unbelief. See, when we say unfaithfulness, we can sort of get around it, right? That kind of has that word. I don't know why. It just kind of doesn't sound as bad. But let's call it what it is. It was doubt and unbelief. They had other gods before the true living God. And because of their doubt and unbelief, now that they're back, they are susceptible to enemies and being raided because the wall is broken. It's the same with us. Remember I said you're the temple. You're the temple. If the sin of doubt and unbelief caused that physical wall to be in that condition, what builds it back up? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. So let me ask you, do you have faith? I'm not talking about a mental ascent. I'm talking about a faith that steps out. How's your spiritual wall protecting the temple or is it in disrepair, full of gaps and rubble? I like that rubble word, sorry. See, in Hebrews it says this, without faith it is impossible to please God. It didn't say good works. It didn't say a bunch of other things that we try to fill in the blank with. It says one thing pleases God and it's faith. Do you have faith? Not a mental ascent of belief. And just of trust. But I mean, you're walking out. You're going out and you're stretching forth into things that God has called you to. I have in those little marks over there so you know it's not scripture. This was me. But I want to personalize that. You see, without faith, the wall around your heart and mind is in disrepair and susceptible to the enemy. Now, do you think when you start to believe, when you start to trust and have faith, that the enemy is excited about it? No. He comes against you. See, he's all right if you go to youth group. He's all right if you're on the worship team. He's all right if you have a couple Bible studies and you're in a D group. But when you start acting out on the things that you're learning and by faith start to live out the life of Christ, he doesn't like that. He lets Christians be busy all the time. And many of you are busy. You're busy in life and you're busy at church, but you're not walking out faith in Christ. So the enemy comes against Nehemiah. He has a vision a passion, a calling. He has a calling. And he goes into the courts of the king and he risked death because you had to be quiet. You didn't smile. You kept a straight face and you did your job and you left. But listen to what he does. Nehemiah chapter two, four through six. The king said to me, what does you want? He looked at him and he could see something was wrong with him. So the king said something. This is a critical moment because he might die right now. But he says, what do you want? 
Then I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, I talk about cheetah prayers, those prayers that you kind of just shout up to heaven and then you kind of leave and then you're disappointed with God because you didn't spend days on your knees starting to seek God like Nehemiah did with days. But you know, cheetah prayers sometimes are great in that moment. That's a cheetah prayer, but it's a good kind of cheetah prayer that Nehemiah prays up. He's like, all right, Lord, be with me because here I go. I may die right now. And he's in. And so he prays. And he says, he answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let, me, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, some people think that's Esther, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time, and I want to skip down to verse 10 because here's that opposition stuff. When you start trying to walk by faith into the calling that God has over your life, it says, when Sanballat, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official heard this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Do you know that you have an enemy that never wants to promote your welfare? In fact, he wants to exploit your weaknesses. That's the business he's into. And opposition, we're, we're two chapters into Nehemiah, into this beautiful calling, and the enemy is already attacking So Nehemiah sets out to Jerusalem, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he meets with the officials. And let's read from there, verse 17, chapter 2. Then I said to them, those officials, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Some of you, as a child of God, are in disgrace right now. You're in disgrace right now. And the devil's telling you lies. And the wall's not up. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. And what the king had said to me, they replied, let us start rebuilding. And I love this next phrase. So we began this good work. Do you know that in the New Testament, child of God, it says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it to completion. But there's going to be opposition. There's an enemy. So he met with the officials. It goes on and says this. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. How many of you seen Incredibles? I love the Incredibles. They talk about the evil man monologuing and the maniacal music, inner maniacal music, and listen to what they say. If I had an evil voice, I would use it, but, you know, I'm just full of sweetness, so I can't, you know, I can't do it. I'm just joking. So hear an evil voice right here. What is this that you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? What king are they talking about? Artaxerxes. Remember, he already had permission. I answered them by saying, I love Nehemiah's response. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or any historic right to it. I love it. He says, I claim heaven. So, you know, maniacal music, Sam Ballot comes in. They tell Nehemiah, you don't have permission. Doubt your calling, Nehemiah. Doubt it. But I love his response. I have the king of kings permission. He didn't try to recap and argue with the enemy and say I had permission from an earthly king. He knows that the true king of heaven gave him permission. You see, the first scheme of the devil is to doubt your calling. 
It's to doubt your calling. But Nehemiah claims God's authority and God's calling on his life. And some of you are in that same place. You need to claim God's authority in your life. See, that's Nehemiah's counter move. And if Nehemiah was a New Testament believer, his, his response would sound a little bit different. This is what it would sound like if Nehemiah was a New Testament believer. He'd say, devil, you don't own this. You have no ground here or claim over me. I stand in the authority of the risen king, and I've been bought with the blood of Jesus. You see, faith stands on the finished work of Jesus. And when the devil comes and says, you're not worthy of Jesus, gets you to doubt your salvation, gets you to doubt your calling, you're not good enough, you're not pure enough, and tells you that you have no more destiny or calling, you've messed your destiny and calling up, your sin is too great. You need to remind the devil of his destiny. It's hell. Amen? Before we go on, I want to show you this. Because every military strategist starts with the end in mind. And God is the greatest of military strategists. He declares the end from the very beginning. But Satan is also a military strategist. So what is the devil's end game? What is his end game? We find his ultimate objective and goal in the last chapter of Nehemiah. And I was shocked when I read it. So we're going to go back to Nehemiah 4, but we're going to be in Nehemiah 13 for just a second. I was shocked. You see, great things have happened. They built the wall in 52 days. Now, I don't know much about construction, but apparently that's a miracle. God shows up, and in 52 days they build this wall. They throw a party. It's a happy ending finally, right? Nope. Nehemiah had left, and he come back to check in on things. And let me read you, picking up in verse 4. Before this, Elishab, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. Remember that. What, what is our storeroom in the Bible? You might have heard that. What are we supposed to bring into the storeroom in Malachi? The tithe. Now listen to this. He, that priest, was closely associated with who? Inner maniacal music. Tobiah, same Tobiah, who's totally against Nehemiah and the welfare of the Jews. And he had provided him a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles. And also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked for permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Elishab had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. Remember I said you're a temple? Simple is sometimes called the house of God. He's in the temple. The enemy's in the temple. And I love what Tobiah does. See, we need, I love what Nehemiah does. We need more Nehemiahs in our age. Listen to what he does. I was greatly displeased, and I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I love that. I love Nehemiah. It's brutal. It's good stuff in the spirit, right? I gave orders to purify the rooms, and I put back into it, and I want you to catch this. This is like Daniel. This is what the enemy wants to steal and rob from you. The equipment of the house of God. What is that? That's their worship. With the grain offerings, that's the tithe and giving. And the incense, that's their prayer. Listen, if you're not tithing, the enemy's probably moved in. 
If you have, find it hard to worship, the enemy's probably moved in. If you're prayerless, the enemy's probably moved in. And that's not a condemnation thing. It's saying, hey, let's purify the temple and let's get back to Jesus. Amen? See, that's the goal of the enemy. That's his end game. Pollute the temple. Sit in the house of God. Can you imagine the enemy is in the house of God in the temple? And that's where Satan wants to be. He wants to destroy you and the church. He wants to destroy this place. Pollute your heart and mind, and we need to purify our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So back in Nehemiah 4, it says this. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, and here goes that maniacal music again, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Sounds like a voice I've heard. Maybe a little bit different for you and me, but I think I've heard that voice somewhere before. Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life for those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And listen to Tobiah, same Tobiah, the Ammonite, who's in the house of God in chapter 13. Tobiah, the Ammonite, was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stones. See, that's Satan's scheme right there. Get your eyes on you and off of God. It's impossible. It's too hard for you. It'll take too long. Your faith is weak. You look conquerable to me. Ignore that the Bible says that you're unconquerable. It can't be done. You see, in a war, the first thing the enemy tries to do is knock out your communication. We must first understand that Satan wants to break down the communication with the Father so he can create chaos in your life and discouragement. Listen, discouragement is his main weapon. And I want to ask you a question today, and this is not rhetorical. And there were brave people in the first service. How many of you are discouraged today? How many of you are discouraged? Thank you for being real in this place. Thank you for being real. But that's the enemy. It's just a barrage of discouragement that he wants to heap on you. That's his thing. That's what he wants to do to you. And he wants you to say that it's impossible. Get your eyes off of God and onto his lies. But with God, all things are possible. So in verse 6, it goes on. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. See, when you start walking by faith, when the Spirit of God starts to change you, and you're strong in Christ, the devil doesn't like that. He'll keep you busy. But when you start living in faith, he gets angry and he doesn't like it. So they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed. I love what Nehemiah does. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Listen, you're in a battle. Are your knees hitting the ground in prayer? Meanwhile, and I want you to catch this. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, and this is, remember, this is the Jews. These are the ones building the wall. The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Listen to this. They're going to start repeating back the enemy's words. Also, our enemy said, 
before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. See, the battle's heating up. They're discouraged. Eyes on the impossible. So much so that God's people are beginning to repeat back the enemy's words. It's a battle for minds. Listen, we walk by faith, not by sight. And they're beginning to, to walk by what they see, think, and feel. Listen, your goal in life is to get your speaking, your thinking, and your believing lined up with the word of God. And so many of us, it's all out of sorts. I love this quote. It says, where the mind goes, the man follows. That's so true. The Bible puts it this way. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You can often tell what and whom you truly believe in with the words you speak. And they're saying the enemy's words. And how many of you know the enemy wants you to speak his lies instead of speaking the promises of God? If your words are, God hates me, he won't do that for me. I might as well give up. That's not God. That's Satan. I'll never overcome this. That's doubt and unbelief. That's the devil's language, not God's. And he's so cunning because he gets you to repeat it back like you said it. But listen to Nehemiah's counter move. He prays. Listen, prayer is a weapon. You fight on your knees, trusting in the promises of God. You fill your mouth with God's promises, not Satan's lies. Listen, we haven't said this from stage much, but there's a secret to prayer. And Nehemiah does this in chapter 1, and when we read Daniel, he did it two times. Every time Daniel prayed, when Nehemiah prayed in chapter 1, he reminds God of his promises. He reminds God of his promises. Hey, God, you said that he who began a good work in me would be faithful to carry it out to completion. You said you'd carry it out. He reminds him of his promises. That's what you need to do. But some of you, your mouths are filled with Satan's lies and not God's promises. I love this quote by R.A. Torrey. He says, the reason why many fail in battle is because they wait until the hour of battle to pray. The reason why others succeed is because they have gained the victory on their knees long before the battle came. Listen, prayer is a war room. That's why we call that place the war room. That's why youth, you have a prayer wall over there. That's the war room. Are we praying? Are we praying? The next scheme of Satan's is this. He wants us to discourage each other. Listen to the scripture, verse 12. Then the Jews who lived near them Near who? Who are these Jews living near? The enemy. The Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Talk about taking the enemy's word in your mouth. See, ten is always a number of testing in the Bible, whether it's positive or negative. They are being tested by their own brothers and sisters. Listen, if Satan can't get us out there, he's going to get us in here. He's going to get us to divide each other. And they're being tested by their own brothers and sisters. Notice it was the Jews that lived near the enemy. Listen, the nearer you are to the enemy, the more you believe his lies, you'll be in compromise. Or let's take the flip side of that. If you're expecting great things from God, walking by faith, not by sight, they're the ones who are going to come to you and say, well, God may not come through. They don't say it that way, but they'll try to discourage you and talk you out that God can do impossible things. We sing it. They'll try to talk you out of God's promises. 
But here's the counter move that Nehemiah does. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind, and I want you to catch this, the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families. I love that part. With swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, I love it, don't be afraid. Remember, remember, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And this is, I love this, man. This is, this is to the church. We're church family. And fight for your church. Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. See, I think it's significant that he posted them by family. It's like Nehemiah's trying to remind them of who they are. We're fighting each other, and the fight's out there, people. It's not against each other. Don't let the enemy divide us. And I love what he says. It says that they guarded the lowest places and the exposed places. How many of you know, in, in even the strongest of walls and most completed of walls, that there's always lower places or places where maybe the enemy would have a better time of getting in? Every wall has those things. And see, this isn't gaps and things that they're trying to repair. These are low points in the wall. See, I think that represents our weaknesses as a church. That each of us, listen, before, we're not perfect until we get to heaven. I hate to break it to you, but your pastors aren't perfect. Some of you are like, I know that. But where's the grace for each other? See, that's what God has called us to. Every wall had its lower points and places that are a little bit weaker This represents the weaknesses we all have. But instead of exploiting our weaknesses that we see in each other, we say, I'll guard your weaknesses. We remember we're family, that there are places that I'm weak and you're strong. Character flaws, we need to strengthen each other through accountability and love. We are called to carry each other's burdens, not kick each other when you're carrying a burden. To strengthen each other's weaknesses, give grace to each other because we're going to fail. We will fail each other, period. And we got to have grace and mercy for each other. We serve a big God. But I love what Nehemiah says. He says, remember the Lord. Remember, remember. See, fear is so consuming that you'll forget God is so big. you got to keep his word in front of you. And in verse 17, this is the ultimate counter move. This is the ultimate counter move to Satan's thing. It sums everything we've set up. And I love this part. It says, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. So picture a stone in one hand and a sword in the other. I love that. How many working projects have you done like that, Brian? I'm in if that's what we're doing. I love that picture, a stone in one hand and a sword in the other. They are building and fighting off the powers of darkness as a family. As a family. See, we've been talking about it, but this is the sword. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, this is the deal. In Romans, they had different swords. But the Roman sword that Paul talks about when he talks about the armor of God was a short sword. Many of you men have seen it because you purchase it for those who end up in the men's ministry. And the thing is, is they taught them because it was close combat. How many of you know that the enemy is close combat? He's attacking your mind. And so they gave them the short so the, the soldiers, the short sword, and they taught them to thrust for the kill shot, not to slash. And that's how many of you are living. You're trying to slash the enemy's lies, and it's not doing much to them. You need to go for the kill shot. 
And this is the word of God that will do that. But if you don't know this, how can you do it? If you don't know this word, this is a faith-filled book. You want faith? You read this book. And the spirit of God will take it. And you'll start killing the enemy and his lies. You see, victory was won on the cross. But victory must be appropriated into your life as the spirit quickens the word of God in areas of doubt and unbelief. See, there's many Christians, you know you're victorious in Christ, but you're not living in victory. And this is the reason why. This is the reason why you've got to get into the word. You've got to start using that sword in those areas of doubt and unbelief and discouragement. You also have a stone in one hand. That's building God's kingdom together. We need all hands on the deck to build the kingdom. Those stones that we're building with are faithfulness, prayer, fasting, and action. See, the kingdom is built by faith, not in our own strength, by faith. See, it took them 52 days, 52 days to complete the wall. It was a miracle. It was a miracle wall. And God wants to do miracles in your life. He wants to accelerate things in your life. He has purpose and calling for your life. He has things he wants to do, things that you right now think are impossible, but are possible with God. Because all things are possible with him who have faith. And God wants to do that. But listen, there's a reason that wall was done in 52 weeks, days, excuse me. There's a reason. Because when the nations and the people looked at that wall, they said there must be a God in Israel. See, the problem is, is many people look at the church and they don't have that amazement. They don't say, well, God must have done that. Only God could have done that. Well, my Rotary Club could have done that. I could have built that. I could have done that. Because we're not stepping out with big faith. We're doing it in our own strength. And I believe God's called our church and called you as an individual to big things where it's going to require faith. To stretch your faith and walk out on it. Where when people look at this church and they look at your life, all they can say is God was there. Only God could have done that. Only God could have erased their sin like that. Only God could have built that. Let's become a church where when people look at us, they say that was a miracle. Only God can do it. But here's what you need to know. You start walking by faith. It won't come unopposed. If it didn't for Nehemiah, it won't for you. We have to have faith. But you have promises. You have promises. When the enemy comes, you have promises. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it to completion. God wants to rock you. Listen, we have a savior that, can't, that always outwits the devil. It doesn't matter. He already defeated him on the cross. He already defamed him. We got to stand strong in his promises. But you can't stand strong if you don't know his promises. But when you get those promises, you begin to say, I will see it come to pass in the name of Jesus. When you begin to take those promises of God, And you see the lies, you see your circumstances, you begin to stand on the word of God, not on those circumstances. You say, I will see it come to pass. In the name of Jesus, I will see it come to pass. Some of you right now, you need that hope. You need to do that. See, I think that wall is a picture of our spiritual condition. We aren't protected. I want you to take this out as we start to close. It's in your bulletin. It's a wall on one side. You represent that stone, but I want you to turn it around. I want everybody to do this. 
Listen, this may be a small thing, but God uses the small thing for great breakthroughs. So pull that out, and you notice that temple in the middle, and there's a circle around it that represents a wall. And what I want you to do in a second when the band comes up, I'm going to ask Brandon just to play, play some music. And if there's anything tripping up your faith, if there's a sin, if there's anything that is trying to get into that temple, remember, you're the temple, then you write it on the outside of the circle. And then some of you have some good things that you need to keep inside the circles. People you're praying for, maybe a situation or circumstance, I'll tell you mine. I got a late text last night from my mom on the way back from Orlando. I didn't even see it till 1130 that my nephew is back in the hospital. And so I'm putting him inside the circle, inside the circle. Listen, you've got to clean and repair those walls, those breaches of doubt and unbelief. The Bible says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Here's a promise. You need a promise? Here's one right now this morning. Here's a promise. And the peace that passes understanding will Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul could have used a lot of words for that word guard. There's a lot in the Greek. But he used one which was a picture of Roman soldiers, a garrison of Roman soldiers, a thousand soldiers. And what he's saying is when you start to believe, when you put that promise in your mouth, when you start to pray and give thanks, when you get your eyes on God and not on you, that God is going to send a thousand Roman soldiers, a thousand angels to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, and they will encircle you with peace. It's his promise. Are there breaches and gaps in here and in here? Are you allowing the peace that passes understanding to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus? Is the temple purified? Is the temple clean? So I want you to take a moment. And I want you to be able to reflect and just ask Holy Spirit, Spirit, speak to me. I believe he's ministering to you now. I believe he's convicting you right now. What needs to be in that outside the circle and inside? Listen, we're keeping in the things of God and shutting out the things of the devil. There's been a song that I've been listening to. It's called, I think it's called Raise a Hallelujah. And the, Lord, the words are that. Raise a hallelujah louder than un belief. See, it's really easy to worship and raise a hallelujah when the wall is already down, like in Joshua and Jericho. We've been talking about a wall being built up. But it's a lot harder in our circumstances when all we see is discouragement. But that's the time that we need to raise a hallelujah louder than unbelief. And this needs to be a church who is raising that hallelujah louder than unbelief and walking in faith. Listen, you want to fill something, that temple up? Holy Spirit, you're commanded every day to wake up and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what I want you to do is when you write those things down in a second, ask Holy Spirit about it, and you see that circle, I want you to wake up every day. Every day. And I want you to circle that with your pen or pencil. I know we're digital, but let's get old school on this. It's fine. Every day saying, I will have faith. I'm keeping out the enemy. I'm keeping out fear and discouragement and keeping in the things that God wants, like my nephew, Zach. And circle it every day praying. It's not, if you miss a day, God's like, oh, they miss a day, sorry, I can't answer it. No. This is more about us having faith.
believing that God can do the impossible. Listen, we have so many people that are sick in our fellowship. I believe that Jesus is still the risen Christ, that he still heals today. But are we going to be a church that walks in unbelief and doubt? Are we going to step into faith, into what God wants for us as a church, where people look at this church and say, only God could have healed that. Only God could have done that. And there's many of you that are broken. And God wants to heal you in your brokenness. Whether it's depression, I don't know what it is. But you've got to start circling it with praise. Circling it with belief. Circling it with faith. Circling it with belief. Saying, it will come to pass. In the name of Jesus. Because our God is great. So let me pray. And then Brandon's going to play a little bit. Give you some time to reflect The altar will be open. We're going to be in next steps. We want to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus, you need to immediately step out. If if there's anything in your heart, that's God speaking to you. You need to step out and go to next steps and give your life to Jesus. But some of you just need prayer. Because here's the deal. I can work in my life on one side of the wall. What about the one in the back? I need you and you and you in my life so that you've got my back. I can't repair the temple wall by myself we need each other so I want you to go out and pray and I want you to come up here to the altar whatever whatever you need to do with God and I want you to write down whatever it is you need to keep out no more discouragement I rebuke discouragement in the name of Jesus and I claim the victory that was won on the cross for each of you in Jesus name let me pray Father I thank you Holy Spirit come right now Holy Spirit, you're the one that even said you'd show us things of the future. There's some people that right now have question marks. If even the future, show them, Father. Reach in, minister to them, Father. Minister to them right now, Holy Spirit. Minister to their hearts and minds. God, I pray they would claim your promises. They step out on your promises, God. They begin to believe you for big things because you're a big God. Father, just do something crazy with our church, God. That when people see us and see this church, they can say, only God could have done that. So, Father, minister to them. Open their hearts to you right now. Open their eyes from blindness, spiritual blindness. Open their ears, God. Minister to them. Speak to them, Father. Give them words of knowledge. Prophesy into their hearts, Father. Tell them what you want to tell them. That they're your child. That you've not failed or forsaken them. That you will complete your good work. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So take a second, take a second. Take a second and write that down. And the joy of the Lord, man, that's that's what you're hearing. That's what you just heard right there is the joy of the Lord, man. When God starts touching you, you're going to have joy. A lot of Christians live joyless lives. Maybe it's time to awaken to a little bit of joy. Write that down, and when you're ready to worship, man, you worship. You come down here, you do what you got to do with God, all right?